We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. What we are very proud of now is that we penetrate the cabinets. Seriously, I'm, I'm making a serious point. I don't know what half of them are protesting against. We've still got Fauci walking around free. The man should be in irons in the darkest pit. As much as he touts that he cares about it, he doesn't. This is our revolution. It's not theirs. Don't let them take it from you. Don't let them convince you that it's their revolution when in fact it's not. It's ours. And we will have it. It is Wednesday, the 11th day of January, the year of our Lord, 2023. I am Johnny Emerson alongside two very special guests from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, Weston and Melissa. Happy New Year to the both of you. How was your holiday? Happy New Year. It, uh, mine was nice, sped along, relaxing. I cooked a lot, baked. It was fun. Well, that's yeah, good. Weston, how was your holiday? Happy New Year. Yeah, mine uh, was really, I really liked the um, break in. I got to see my family, got to eat lots of delicious food, and I got to walk around my hometown and revisit some things that I hadn't seen. So it was like, well, that's good. Happy to get back to the, uh, the podcasting grind. Yes. Happy to get back into yes. the topics of the day. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. I tell you what, let's, let's start with this. We were discussing this a little bit in prep, apart from the, uh, the hour long conversation that we had that was, uh, <laughs> was interesting, but we talked very briefly about the issue that took place on Monday night football. We've had everybody else weigh in on it. And since you guys are now back, uh, after the first of the year, uh, I thought that we would discuss that a little bit. What were your, what were your reactions to that? I guess the, the propaganda around it is, uh, it's just horrendous, but the way that they're trying to spin it uh, and the way that they're trying to control the narrative is uh, it's quite telling, isn't it? It, it really is. I mean, I, I didn't follow it too closely because it's one of those stories that, you know, as soon as it happens, that it's going to be a huge story. And what you could see at the very beginning is that we, we weren't really going to be allowed to say what we thought without, you know, they were going to slap a label on you that you were, you know, ever. And it when anything happens like that in the public eye, the very first thing is it, it's a terrible thing to see. It's a terrible thing to see someone go down like that. And then you don't know if they're going to live. And you've got sports fans everywhere praying, praying before all the games, the family and you one would feel for the family and so forth. But the thing that really struck me is that this heart attacks are something that you can test, you can do blood tests, you can do all kinds of imaging and scans and and you can see very quickly what happened, what kind of damage has occurred, what got released into the bloodstream. This is not new science. And for days we were just told we, we don't know it could be this weird thing where just the, when the stars align in just the right place uh, and then there's a impact with a small force you can just drop you know uh, but but what they did know right off the bat and they knew it very emphatically and clearly and would brook no conversation about it was that it had nothing to do with a vaccine. And that it's just awful when you live in a world in which you can't question, you can't ask logical questions. And she made some similar points in her Not Sure piece that she posted uh, Sunday, January 8th. I think I titled the piece um, Rare 
blunt trauma from a flying dictionary of acronyms. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. I, I guess I hadn't looked at it like that. That's quite interesting. I'll, uh, I'll have to toddle on over and check that out. I was um, combining a couple of things I was thinking about, but yeah, for sure. It, yeah. Tell you what, they float some doozies out there that we're supposed to accept. They do, um, and I I saw there was a uh, there was a clip of uh, Fauci. Even though he's retired now, retired, I say that very loosely. Of course, he's going to get a, a book deal for tens of millions of untold dollars. But he was rewards. on, yeah, he was a yeah, reward for a job well done. I guess he yeah. was on CBS, I think, and he was basically saying, "Oh well, uh, this is this is not even a remote possibility. If it if it is a possibility uh, involving an MR." RNA vaccine is very, very slim chance. I mean, almost nothing. The bigger problem that people have is we're seeing the larger spikes in myocarditis and, and cardiac related issues from people that have recovered from COVID. Like th this is, yeah, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is what they're running uh, as interference. But yeah, I, I replayed the, um, I replayed the hit for you. And quite frankly, I, like I said, I've, I've seen some hits. I mean, I, I've seen some football, some American football players take some hits. I used to work with a couple of former NFL players. These are no small guys, and they they weren't even like first string people. They were in like you know the second or third string starting out in the mm -hmm. in the NFL. And these guys were monsters. Now, if you think about the hit that this guy took on the field, think about how many times they get hit in practice, right? And they practice pretty much every day, right? So these guys are designed to take to take these hits and. I actually, I heard the statistic yesterday. Do you care to hazard a guess as to how many tackles in total since the NFL's inception, how many tackles there have been in the NFL total since the game started? Because they track all those statistics every season. So do you care to hazard a guess how many tackles they've had in the entire existence of NFL football in America? We in the billions? No, it's not quite that high. No. <laughs> we are in the millions, yes. It's 1.7 million tackles since the uh, NFLs. I would have thought it would have been even more than that. I mean, seriously. Yeah. Uh-huh. I would have I would have thought higher too. Yeah, I would have thought higher too. But 1.7 million tackles. And do you care to hazard a guess how many times this has been the outcome of any of those tackles? I'll hazard a guess. None. With the exception of this particular incident, this is the yes. only time it's ever happened. Yeah. Yes. So you yeah. have a better chance of getting struck by lightning. Bruce ran the statistics yesterday. It's it's literally it's you can't even say it's a one in a million shot. It's a one in one point seven million shot of this happening. And it's not. It's not as if this was uh, because they're they're trying to run this thing, and I remember you saying that they're they're trying to run all this um, uh, the this side track of everything of oh he got hit in the chest and it uh, and it stopped his his heart or whatever. Okay, maybe maybe if this were one of those hard hit, and I mean hard hits. I've seen, like I said, I've seen American football players take hits so hard they've had their helmets knocked, you know, 15, 20 yards down the field. If it were one of those and the guy got absolutely rocked, I might believe that, right? I might believe that that stopped his heart. It would be a better sell. I'll just put it that way. Mm -hmm. But when it happens a second time, when you're in the ambulance on the way to the hospital, mm -hmm. that right there should be the big tell to everybody. They don't mention the second time that it happened. They worked on mm -hmm. that poor that poor man out there on the field for 10 minutes to try and resuscitate him. So it was just, it was horrible to watch. It, it was absolutely horrible to watch. But again, I I, I don't buy, you know, I, and I saw another one this morning. A, uh, let me pull it here. 
former footballer again like we're seeing these every day now former psg footballer and olympic champion uh modeste um bambi dies age 40 after heart attack so Mm -hmm. we're seeing this every day now Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i i don't buy i i don't buy that mr hamlin took that menial shot and that's what caused it i just don't buy it you know i I was talking last week about these uh, it's extended to what do you you call these people that that do these videos i don't want to call them like actual like influencers but that's kind of what they are former professional trainers that have worked with professional sports teams before in the united states i follow some of the work that they do they have like youtube channels and things for fitness because i'm a big fitness person i i'm uh, you know i'm in working out just about every day and so i'm always looking for new techniques and, and new things to adopt to help me with my own personal development. And so I'll go and I'll check out some plans that these professional sports trainers actually put together for their clients. I mean, what better place to go, right? If I'm looking for a meal plan or a workout plan or something, and I'm seeing a lot of them explain it away the same way. And I can tell that when they're explaining this stuff, that they're not being honest. I can tell that they're being deceptive in just the way that they're explaining it because not even they believe what they're saying. How's it going to look when this continues to happen over and over and over and over again to players that don't take any hits? What's going to happen now when you've got the, like the NFL, their their assets are their players. It's not going to look good when you got players out there dying on the field. That's not going to sell too many tickets. Right. Yeah. But yeah, again, um, I, and I've... <laughs> I've got some more. This is a, this is from Canada over the weekend. This is from CTV. It, you spent a lot of time in Canada, have you not, Melissa? You, you have, yes. Yes. CTV is their like that's their mainstream media up there. Yes, that that's their. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This is one of their young reporters uh, over the weekend, and whoops. And as you can see, uh, what I'm about to play here, she is giving a report here. And I will turn the audio on here for just a second so you can hear what she's saying. All right. So, Jessica, how do families of the victims feel about this progress that has come just a week before the third anniversary? Well, people we spoke with say they were happy that something is being done, but this is something that they've been asking for since day one. So for them, this is about a thousand days too late. Now, Nairman, I... Looking at uh, after the, to the, the day, families are pushing feds to pushing the feds to. Sorry, Airman, I'm I'm not feeling very well right now, and I'm about to. Okay, we'll come back to you right now, and we'll make sure that Jessica, you are doing okay. Thank you. We will make sure that Jessica. And she basically falls down right, right off the, yeah, uh, the thing. She's but like I said, this this is going to become like the new thing. I mean, it's like this is happening. Uh, the, the Europeans, I was reading over the uh, uh, over last week, we've got 796 or it's, so, excuse me, 769 professional athletes in Europe that have had to retire from the competition or or they've had to retire completely from their sport because of cardiac issues in a year, in 12 months. <laughs> and we're not supposed to pay attention to what happened to Mr. Hamlin as anything other than just sheer chance. And this no, poor young and, and lady I, here. I don't know that. I mean, that that footage reminded me, I'm not sure who compiled it, but a couple of weeks ago, I saw newscasters. This particular compilation was just newscasters who had passed out, dropped. Some of many of them on this list actually died. They had a cardiac event. They had a stroke. They died. Some of them were just, um, you know, temporarily disabled. 
there's a, a doctor in Canada. I can't remember his first name. It might be William, but Dr. Mackus is compiled. He's been compiling lists of doc. Most of them are young doctors, but doctors who have passed away suddenly. Um, he's also begun tracking young children. One of the things that Canada has been experiencing are a fair amount of deaths of young children from the flu. That is very unusual for children to die of the flu. But he's making some connections, and of course, nobody's happy about it. One of the connections, uh, there was a young girl who was in a a hockey club for seven-year-olds and younger, and it was a requirement of this club that they all be vaccinated and she did have that vaccine. She, we, so we don't know. Um, all we're doing is making connections here, right? We're told she died of the flu, but she did have a heart attack at the age of six. That doesn't happen. No, no. But it, it, it evidently it does now. And I mean, the stories they become they become too many and coming at you too quickly to keep track of. But you have to have some kind of an awareness of what's going on because this is very tragic, very serious fallout, but it's very tragic. And one of the stories that I saw over the holiday, I I, I just happened, it, it caught my eye that a woman said a woman was arrested because she had endangered the lives of her two young children. And those are not normally the kind of stories that I look at at all. Uh, But for some reason, there was something about the way the headline was worded. It just grabbed me. I read the story. She was the wife of a major network newscaster. Uh, I want to say NBC, but it doesn't really matter. And they had been obviously visiting family in an area and they were staying at a hotel. And what happened was he had a cardiac event in the hotel, and the two small children were with them. And they were young. I I would say that one was toddler, two or three. The other one was old enough. In a case of an emergency, you ought to have a five or six-year-old who can keep their wits about them for a brief amount of time. But, you know, I mean, it, it isn't an infant any longer. What she had done on the way to the, as she's, you know, with her husband who's having this event, she called her mother and a good friend and said, uh, you know, my husband or they would have known him by his name, whatever. He's having a heart attack. I'm on my way to the hospital. You've got to get over to the hotel and look after the children. Both her mother and the friend showed up at the hotel and asked for the keys to the room because, of course, they couldn't get in. The hotel did not supply the key, but called the police. And so when the woman who subsequently lost her husband he died at uh, the age, I want to say 40, young, heart attack. Um, she was then arrested for endangering the lives of her children. Now, it's a human interest story, but behind that human interest is a very tragic thing that happened. And we're not, we, you, me, you know, those of us who ask questions, we're not allowed to ask them that we are spreading misinformation. We're hateful. We're conspiracy theorists, and this is not going to stop. You know, there's a guy on uh, Substack. Uh, he's a, a millionaire, and I don't remember what it was that he did that made his money, but his name is Steve Kirsch. And in his wealth, he's kind of devoted his time and energy to pursuing a line of questioning. And the line of questioning that he is on is what's in these vaccines, what's going on, what's the fallout. 
And he puts up a lot of interesting things on his Substack, but he keeps trying to get people to debate him. You know, I'm going to go to the CDC. Um, I'm, I'm offering a million dollars if you'll provide this. You know, he, de- he, he does one of these stunts at least once a day, sometimes two or three. He's trying to put his money up to see who will bite. Surely someone will come forward if the stakes are high enough. But I mean, you know, kudos and good on him for trying. But what we're looking at is a must be. And it does not matter. Alan Watt was very fond of saying facts don't matter. And I, his logic is if we can just prove, if we can just show, if we can just make this connection, but we're not even allowed to ask the questions that would prove this out. No, That's as you say. As you say, we're it's it's spreading misinformation and disinformation, and you're the conspiracy theorist, and no one's got time for you because you're not following science. You're not following credible sources. That's what the that's what the agenda is that's being pushed. And if you look at this new pandemic accord that's going to come out of the United Nations, it's exactly that. And if you notice mm-hmm. all of the talking heads and all of the the usual suspects, be it mainstream media or guys like Fauci or uh, Gates or this this whatever at the this uh, Klaus Schwab, any of these things, it's they're all pushing that same talking point now, saying, "Well, we've got to crack down on misinformation, disinformation, the conspiracy theories, the the, the misleading uh, health information, all the rest of it." The reason they're doing that is because. In three weeks is when that pandemic accord is going to be put together by the World Health Organization, and they're going to pass it. It's not going to be ratified by any government. They're just going to ram it through and say, the hell with you. We don't care. Uh, Because, as you say, the facts don't matter. And they really don't. And I, you know, this is for people, especially the STEM mind, you know, your science, technology, engineering, maths mind wants to ask logical questions and they want to apply, you know, what is really truly the true scientific method to what's going on. And that is not allowed. It it isn't going to happen. This is, you know, somebody asked me what I thought about the, the unfortunate football player and the event that happened at that game. And I said, look, it wouldn't matter if they brought the vaccine out on the field and vaccinated him in front of millions of people. And five minutes later, this happened. There would be no correlation. And to say that there might be puts you in the camp of people who need to be silenced. You're absolutely right. And uh, with that being said, you know, with, with all of this, and you know, I, I've, I've got, like I said, I've got more of this this video. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to uh, go through it all here because there's just so much of it. But uh, I've got some more. This was at a high school over the weekend. A, a 16-year-old high school student collapsed on the court for reasons unknown. And it, obviously, the kid's laying there clutching his chest. So there's something wrong. But yeah, this is, a, you know, this is an everyday, uh, uh, everyday occurrence. You're, you're familiar with foosball. I am, yes. I, I saw a little meme the other day that, you know, would, would be funny if it wasn't so sad. But the, it was Pfizer's foosball. And it was just a visual. It showed the foosball with the players, you know, down in various positions of obvious Uh discomfort, either, you know, knees up, clutching their chest, you know. (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I did. I actually, I did run across that. Um, and then, of course, USA Today, uh, just a couple of days ago, run, they're running stories like this now. Cardiac arrest can happen to children. What parents of kids in sports should know. And, you know, mm-hmm. I was looking at this last night and, and Bruce and I were talking about this offline. And I said, you know what? I grew up playing sports. I was no stranger to sports. I, I played in the U.S. Forgive me, European listeners. I played soccer in the U.S. <laughs> when I was a kid. I played baseball for 14 years. So I, I'm no stranger to sports where you actually run a lot. You know, to, to and I ran cross country. I ran track. You know, I, I did all that stuff. I uh, mm-hmm. played basketball. So, I mean, I, there was a lot of cardio uh, growing up as a kid. All that running, all that, uh, all that time that I spent with, with teammates that were doing exactly the same thing, all of those years, not one time do I ever recall the conversation ever being made by any of the coaches, hey, this can be a problem for you. Uh, this, mm-hmm. this can cause this if we push you too hard. Uh, and we were practicing sometimes, you know, two, three times a week. And none of that was ever an issue. And I don't recall ever seeing kids suffer from any kind of a cardiac issue. Now, I used the example of when I was just to give you an idea of how much stress you, you put your body under when you're, you're playing that kind of sport. Now, baseball is, for those that are unfamiliar, baseball is not a contact sport, but there is a lot of running in baseball and it's a lot of sudden movements. I had a big issue going from second to third when I was stealing a base. First base to second base, I had a good working relationship with my first base coach, was never a problem. Second base to third base, I had a problem because I was too concerned about the snap throw from the catcher from home plate down to third. It was easier for him to pick off the runner down at third than it is for him to pick off a runner at second. So it screwed with my mind. So I had to get past that. And I had to be able to put my trust in the coach on third base to tell me when it was when he thought it was safe for me to go and when it wasn't. If you take that, right, if you look at the, the distance between second base and third base, about 30 feet. So if you look at that and you're looking at the, uh, the leadoff that you take, when you decide that you're going to steal that base, you've got to be on your high horse. You've got to be going as fast as you can possibly go, pushing your body to the absolute limit to where it's going to hurt if you get it wrong. And so you've yeah. got to be on point. Do you know how many times I had to make that move in practice two or three times a week, 20 or 30 each session? Uh-huh. I never had any cardiac issues. I, I don't recall ever having any kind of even shortness of breath or anything. I don't recall mm-hmm. any of the other guys having anything like that at all. And mm-hmm. we had some guys that played on our team. They were asthmatic. So if anything, they're going to have serious breathing problems. Their cardiac system, their cardiovascular system is going to be under even more pressure than somebody that doesn't have any issues. And they never had any problems. Mm-hmm. So now all of a sudden, this is this is normal? It's the new normal. I'd say so. Yeah. But you're right. You, I mean, going back a, a, f- a few minutes ago, you were talking about you know, the owners of teams, what is going to happen because their their assets are dropping. Um, it is a huge question. I, I mean, I know that we are in a transitional phase. We are going into all the way into a different way of living. The fourth industrial revolution. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess I hazard the guess that there won't be these kinds of sporting events that, that is future. an interesting concept. I remember when when COVID started, I saw, you know, they, they shut down all the sports. There, there weren't any games for, for quite some time. They closed yeah. all that stuff mm-hmm. down. 
And I, I remember people that were just, they were saying, oh, just just bring the game back. Just put the game back on. Mm-hmm. When I saw the uh, the sports teams, the professional sports teams, whether it was it was professional baseball, I mean, I, I followed, you know, like I said, I, I played baseball for, for a good portion of my life. So yeah, naturally, I'm going to be a fan of the game. Not necessarily any team, really, but the actual gameplay itself. And when I saw all of the professional level players and and on down, obviously, when they do it, they're going to work their way down through like the college level and the high school level and everything else. But when I saw the professional leagues, the NFL, the Major League Baseball uh, and all the European soccer clubs, uh, football clubs, all of them did the same thing with jab mandates. If you're going to play, if you want to compete, then this is what you've got to do. Mm -hmm. There was a big controversy with uh, the world's number one tennis player, Novak Djokovic. Yes. Yeah, because they, they it is terrible. It's, it is terrible, and they they put it on uh, the tennis players as well. And these are like these are these are the world's top athletes. I mean, sometimes you're out there on the court in blazing heat for I don't know. I think one of the longest matches I've ever seen was like eleven hours or something. Now I'm sure there's probably longer ones, but the competition that Major League Tennis had, I believe it was in Florida about six months ago, seventeen of the professional tennis players couldn't finish their matches. They had to retire. So when I saw these companies, I guess that's what they are. When I saw these companies, these professional sports leagues, mandating this on their players, I thought to myself, not only do I not want to be involved with whatever company and does that to their to their assets, they wanted to mandate it on the people that were coming into the stadiums. You know, they, they wanted to say, well, if you want to come into our uh, facility, then you've got to be vaccinated. You remember that? The New York Yankees. I followed the yeah. New York Yankees for, for like 20 years. The New York Yankees said, if you get vaccinated, then you can sit over here in the good seats. If you don't, then you got to sit back there and you've got to wear a mask. If you get vaccinated at the park, we'll give you free parking for the rest of the season. We'll give you a free concession stand trips. We'll give you season tickets if you want, if you get vaccinated at the park on the big screen. And I thought, I don't want to be a part of any of this. There were so many of those stunts going on. Well, remember that what that we're, you're looking at bread and circuses. So in the transitional phase, you can't have people starving. They, they have to be fed. And they and now we're starting to see creeping inflation prices. Someone quoted me a statistic here in the United States that produce, this was all produce, but whatever had um, the had an inflation of 80% just in the last six months here. But the circuses part of it, you know, this is the gladiators. This is throwing Christians to the lions or whatever. It's entertainment. And that's what's, you know, you can get excited about a sporting event and it's, and a lot of us have enjoyed participating in one way or another in them, but it's the circus. It's entertainment. And I, I think we're reaching the point where that isn't so important any, you know, they're kind of wrapping things up and they don't need to feed us so well. And they, you know, unless you like crickets and grasshoppers. And, You're yeah, eat bugs. <laughs> yeah I, I, I love that. And, but it, it's, the, it's the same thing, you know, we're asking the question, why would these corporations, you know, A, let their assets be treated in this way and B, want their fans, you know, to be subjected to the same, well, because they know what the agenda is. It's the same thing as we were talking about off air before we started the idea of the ESG that, you know, corporations are no longer concerned about the bottom line. Really? 
so their shareholders aren't concerned about the bottom line. Huh, that's interesting. So all of the sudden, these big, huge corporations have gotten just incredibly altruistic and earth-worshipping, and they're driven, you know, by something other than the bottom line. Well, no, they're not. It's an agenda. So they everything will then be green, environmentally sustainable. Uh, we're, we're marching into this at a pretty quick clip now. Because the people who own the government, who have all the money, they've decided that this is how co- companies need to behave. And so they're basically saying, you know, you're going to be reg- regulated out of existence, like the, you know, coal and, and the gas and so on. You have to be, that have to be stopped because it's not sustainable, fossil fuels. And so basically, you know, the, since there's only a handful of people who actually run the money system who you know, own the governments, they can make it, make the corporations, you know, comply if they want to make money, basically. Otherwise, they'll be punished. Yeah, I, I'm sure that, that you've looked into this a little bit. But when you do start to look into the, the ESGs and uh, big companies like I'll just pick some out and I have no facts to back it up with at the moment, but it doesn't really matter which company, whether it's Shell or Mobile or Exxon or whatever, you're going to find when you open up their portfolio and their business plan that they have an awful lot of their resources invested in sustainables um, because that is the future and they got the heads up at Davos. 15 years ago, you know, they they, you they know that they're going to have an income that's based on something other than drilling or fracking or whatever, you know. Yeah. And I, I, uh, I, I wholeheartedly concur with you about uh, corporations. Now, all of a sudden, they're not going to care about their bottom line. Corporations care about two things. That's their public image and their bottom line. They don't care about anything else. Mm-hmm. They really don't. And all ESGs are. All ESGs are is the public image. Exactly. Exactly. That's and, it. Yeah, and as I was telling you in prep, I said companies as long as they like they're they're focused on image. That's all they're focused on. They they want the, to be able to say we've got this many people in this position that have this qualification and that's it. They don't care. They always will like have like charitable things like the, you know, that they'll that they claim that they'll spend so much money on charity, spend so much money um, you know, giving back to the community. That's another thing that corporations really care, you know, or for their image. You know, they do that. But of course, you know, how much is it, are they actually giving to community and so on? I mean, really, I mean, like if you look at something like Walmart, like I think uh, Melissa had posted an article, it was, it was a few months ago now, talking about the towns in Arkansas, uh, where I think Walmart has its headquarters, is that, or that's where the Walton family or the uh, the Walmart people come from. And they, uh, you know, they, they have been giving back. They have a the museum and they have like parks and, and, and things that, that they, and artwork and so on and architecture, you know, fancy places that they've built there. But like they, the working people can't enjoy any of that, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, again, you know, but they, they do do charities for, for sake of public image. They always make sure, you know, you know, and you can give to so much to charity, like at various places, like, you know, the, like if you if you want to give like a dollar or the remaining amount of change for paying with cash or something, charity. They always have these. Just like, you know, because they're all, you know, they're, they're supposed to be getting back to communities and other public communities. They do just as much. Yeah. And then and the with the ESGs, it is that same thing, except now it is supposedly a whole new way of doing business. And it's image, image, image. And you'll have somebody like a Greta Thunberg or someone else will say, oh, you're not really uh, in 
doing sound environmental practice. You're just greenwashing us, you know, and then, of course, nobody wants to be accused of greenwashing. So, no, we're really serious. We're very committed to the environment. And it's theater. Uh, you know, it's just a new kind of theater. So I wanted to play this clip. Um, it, we we talk when you guys come on, we, we talk about the work of the late, great Alan Watt. And I wanted to play this clip. This is and I'm sure this is something that you guys have on on your website. Uh, and I encourage people to go over there and check this out. This is from the documentary film Understanding the Control. And we're talking here about centralized control and, and where all of this uh, agenda is being pushed from. And Alan talked many times, not just in what I'm about to play, but he talked many times in how they're looking to centralize things and, and how all of this is going to come from a top down authoritarian push from the United Nations. And this is I mean, we, we've been warning about this for years. And with this pandemic accord, this, this pandemic, whatever it is that they're trying to put together, this is all being done. I mean, that's the, the medical arm of the United Nations. This is one of the tools that they're going to use in order to try and, and facilitate this, uh, th this authoritarian push. But he also talks about all of the other things. You were talking, Melissa, about inflation, about the price of, of produce that has gone up. And that's another crisis, isn't it? It's an economic crisis. Yeah. It's yeah, it's it's inflation. So we've got a problem with inflation. We've got a problem with a pandemic, right? I'm doing the air quotes. Pandemic. That's another crisis. We've got a problem with energy, right? We got a problem with energy. Right. So that's another crisis. We've got a problem with terrorism. That's another crisis. We got a problem with climate change. That's another crisis. We've got a problem with I don't know. Just pick whatever. <laughs> I'm sure they'll make it a crisis if it isn't one. But he talked about how. You can only handle so many of these things mm -hmm. at a time. And if you are overloaded with at least four, at a minimum of four, if you're overloaded, and that's that's actually considered a lot. If you've got four things that you're overloaded with, that you're constantly bombarded with, that you can't fix, that you, that, like the, the problem, as he, as he mentions, it's always the same. It's a problem you can't fix. It's not a problem mm -hmm. that you can solve, mm -hmm. but it's only them, the expert class. You go into a deep depression. Yes, what numbers it's, are we it, seeing? It, it's like the it's numbers of that, depression and anxiety are off the charts. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because um, I was packing up a few things that were very fragile this morning and I was using old newspaper that was from probably late 2020 to wrap around these things. And one of the headlines that grabbed my attention as I was wrapping up a fragile thing was that the depression and anxiety that people were suffering during COVID. And they, you know, went on to cite these statistics. And I thought, you know, it's, it's disgusting because it's, a, you know, you have all these manufactured events for a purpose that, you know, no one, most people have no idea why these things are happening and they're buying the official story that it's just occurring. And then they come out and tell you all of the things that you can do to prop up your mental health. Oh, we're here to help you. And we're going to have run this series on, you know, how to combat depression and anxiety. And it reminded me of something that I saw during the height of the pandemic. Alan was still alive and we were looking up something on YouTube and, it, it, you know, it was very important. I don't recall what it was, but it was what we deemed to be very important. And it had like three viewers or six viewers, you know, but uh, next to it on the side, there was some woman who was showing how, you know, how to bake a cake during the pandemic and, you know, a chocolate cake. And 
It had, you know, 2.5 million views on her cake baking instruction and and all these weird things that happened during the pandemic when people were locked down. All of a sudden, you know, house plants became all the rage again and everybody had to have a house plant. And I thought, you know, what, what you're seeing there is people trying to help themselves through depression and anxiety. They're nesting. They're feathering their nest. They're trying to take their, you know, giving themselves comfort food and comfort pastimes. But you, you're you looking at a really evil plan. And then the programming, the indoctrination that tells us, well, they're there. Don't feel bad. Bake a cake. And this was talked about years and decades ago, really. In the future, changes are going to start coming more rapidly. And people, it's just going to mess with people's minds. They're going to go crazy. It's going to you know, make them really sad because... There's no sense of permanence and there's a, you know, they're losing all the things that they used to be familiar with. And that's, that's you know, it's, it's a future, so it's a shock. And for people, and I think that's exactly what we saw 2020 was, you know, ma- massive shock. And, you know, people need some way of coping, with, although a lot of people didn't cope with it and they did end up being very depressed, suicide, or even committing suicide. Yeah. So, um, you know, I know. But yeah, I... they've written, you know, books about this, you know, decades ago talking about how, you know, we're going to have all these rapid changes in the future. And um, so the future shock was one by Alvin Toffler. I want to get to this clip here before before we run out of time here, but uh, I want to get to this clip. Okay. Um, and, and again, no, I, I like both your points. Uh, you're you're both spot on uh, in setting that up. But uh, again, th- now Alan, for those that are unaware, he's going to tell a little bit about himself. Uh, and this is this is about seven minutes long. But again, everything that he explains it. And I, as I was telling you both in prep, I said like this is from 2010, and I'm I'm watching this over the weekend because it popped back up on on one of my timelines, and I'm like, did he just do this yesterday? <laughs> because that's certainly what it sounds like. And you'll see why. I'm Alan Watts, and uh, I've been following politics and geopolitics uh, for a good part of my life. Um, I didn't start off uh, deliberately going out to find out uh, everything that was possibly going on. In fact, I had no idea, to be honest with you, how vast uh, the scale of an agenda, a political agenda, is when you're bringing in a global society. Wars have many different purposes. Uh, economics is only simply one big part of it, but culture of change and the building of empire through the defeated nations joining in leagues. Every country was basically signing the same laws and had been in my whole life at the same time that affected their societies. Laws were introduced and bills were introduced unbeknownst to the people in those countries that it was being introduced in their neighboring countries or even across the water somewhere at the same time. I realized there was already a governmental control, obviously, that that, uh, coordinated all of this and it led me into the United Nations. For every single department of government you have on a federal, local, county, state, provincial level, the United Nations had an equivalent department to deal with everything. It was, it was already set up, in fact, to be global government. H.G. Wells said at the League of Nations, which was the embryo for the United Nations, he said, this is the nucleus of the world governments, when eventually all laws will come from there, be passed and signed into law by treaty of all the membering countries. Eventually, we won't even have to go through the farce, and that's what it is, of voting in uh, parties or candidates, because in the latter part of the 20th century and now into the 21st century, we're being trained, r- rather obviously, to simply accept rule by experts, rule by scientists, rule by professionals. And that's what they mean when they call uh, govern- government governance. That's the term used. 
how do you get a domesticated herd to move from a field, a system in which it's been grazing for 20, 50 years, this kind of system, to this field over here, this new field, because we're reluctant, we have reluctance to change. We, we like familiarity, we like routine, you see. You do it by various techniques, one of which is revolution. Most revolutions are bloodless. You have cultural revolutions, sexual revolutions, along with that comes the music revolutions, etc. These literally are designed to alter and direct culture, knowing what kind of culture they'll have at the very end of it too. They know exactly what kind of culture they want to come out of it. You also can do it through crisis creation. Crisis uh, after crisis has been hit on the people of the world since 9-11 happened. And we must understand that the techniques that are used abroad are also used at home in warfare. And we heard the term shock and awe. Shock and awe on the hard, the hard force level, as they call it, is bombs, uh, all kinds of acoustic equipment to nullify enemies, scare the hell out of them through voice to skull and so on, which was used in Gulf War I, and it's all over the, the British media. But you can also use shock and awe on your domestic people again. You do it by crisis after crisis until the public are so terrified. See, the average person has a sort of confidence that they build up where they, can, they think, I can manage most things that come my way. Whatever little crisis in my life, what happens to other people, I can deal with. When all those around you are getting scared at the same time as you because they're losing their jobs, they've been threatened with pandemics, terrorists everywhere, terrifying people to even get on subways, and so on. And all those around you, as I say, are also in the same boats. You tend, you tend to be more easily directed by the powers that be that come out and speak with authority and confidence over you. That's why they give you a guy like Obama, who's trained in oratory. He was trained in oratory, not in truth, but in oratory, the technique of persuasion. Shock and awe, as I say, is a technique of making a person and a whole population punch drunk. And each one of those fears, you see, you understand, the average person can handle one major crisis in their personal life, maybe two at the same time. It's understood in psychology, and many, many studies, that if you have maybe three to four crises hitting you personally in your life at the same time, you will literally go into an incredible depression, a reactive depression, you can't cope. That's understood. Apply that technique on a whole population. The thing is, there's not one of these crises that we're being told about that you personally can do anything about. What can you do about terrorism if it really exists all over the place? It's out of your hands, you're helpless. What can you do about a coming pandemic? It's out of your hands, you're helpless. What can you do about a nuke getting set off in New York Harbor or wherever? You can't, you're helpless. The message you're getting is that you're utterly helpless to defend, help, or save yourself. That is complete shock and awe tactic that's been used not only in the US and Canada, but across the world. Same strategy, because we're already global with the global society running us all. Massive psychology and warfare techniques in psychology has been used across the planet to make us succumb to fear and crises, as I say, and none of which we can actually do anything about on an individual level. Therefore, the leaders are presented to us on screen with uniforms or business suits and ties as politicians who speak with confidence, all scripted, of course, and, uh, and, and they seem to have everything under control. You're now basically a fearful slave 
looking up to the powerful master to defend and protect you. That's the simple technique of it. As I said, did he make that recording last week or something? Because he hit it out of the park. Yeah, he did, but he, I think he always did. First of all, I'll just say that that people will not find that video on the website that was done by a team that came up to... I just, we, we never posted it there. There's copyright and everything, but many people have done excerpts. That was an excerpt of a longer um, interview and it's all over the internet. So you can find it easily. Um, but he continuously knocked it out of the park. He was so prescient, but he liked to remind folks that it wasn't a crystal ball. It was just years of studying the agenda. So you knew what they were going to do, how they would roll it out. But he got it so, so right. I I mentioned to you when we were off air that the Christmas talk of 2008, um, we replayed on Christmas this this past Christmas. And it's just so weird. It's uncanny how everything that he said could it could just be Christmas 2022. Same thing for what went up on Sunday was a talk from 2015. Even the articles that he read, well, certainly with the the way that he analyzed them, it, it just felt fresh. You know, yes, he's reading about what? Climate change, sustainability, carbon credits, you know, <laughs> it, because it's an agenda that's just marching relentlessly. It, it is. But, and, yeah, you know, he, the, the way that he said that they already know of the culture that they want on the other side of it. They, they already know what's going to come out on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm I'm looking at, at everything with the ESGs. I'm looking at the, the climate change agenda, these carbon credits and like this food crisis that they're engineering. Like they're they're just our supply chains have been annihilated. I, like I don't even mm-hmm. our, our international supply chains are just they're beyond repair at this point. We're going to have to completely tear them down and, and rebuild them. But we need to do it on our terms, not theirs. That's a side issue. I think that's another topic for another day. But apart from like what with with what they want to do with everything that they're destroying. And, and as Alan said, and it's the same as nearest I can tell on every agenda, they know exactly what they want to happen on the other side. I see nothing on the other side of this. If you're looking at the agenda coming out of like the World Economic Forum with Klaus Schwab and, and his type, that's not a culture at all. That's just like that's just hell. That's I made a slip up of words yesterday and I called it uh, like a stale life or something. That's that's got to be the most boring, miserable excuse for an existence that there ever could I think be. Alan would say Alan would say it's, it's existing, but it's not living. Right. Yeah. Yes. He would say that's it. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely yeah. that it's it's not like to. And I, I heard this this morning from uh, from somebody that uh, that I know. And he said existing is going to be a luxury if this is allowed to continue. He's not wrong to that extent, but I don't see I, I don't see that as being like, yeah, you're you're alive and you're breathing, but you're not living. You're not living at all. If you look at this 15 minute city that they're now uh pushing, I have you guys looked at that? The 15 minute city? Yes. Have you yes. seen that? That's that's literally we're building a prison for you. <laughs> that's that's what they're doing. They're they're building a prison for you, and and it it follows along with that um, that ecto life promo that I showed you a few weeks ago, where they were talking about uh, your zone, your building. You know, you're not going to leave this, and and that's exactly what it's designed for. Uh, is that? But that's that's not any kind of culture uh, that I can see. I don't see any culture in that whatsoever. You no, know, um, in in a, in a city not that far from here. 
they're advertising that Dallas, Texas is going to be, you know, a premier smart city. And they're, you know, shaping it to be this premier smart city. And now they've been talking about this on and off with Toronto. Toronto had Google up there a few years ago, and then they kind of backed away. But now they're talking again about all of the smart things that they want to do. And an interesting thing is if you, um, Weston was reminding me uh, that COP27, that's the conference of the parties, that's UN's climate change. Um, They met in Egypt last fall and this fall they're to meet in the United Arab Emirates. And he was reminding me that a lot of the really slick state-of-the-art smart cities and green agenda kind of programs are happening in the Middle East right now. But a smart city is a panopticon. It is a prison. It is. It's smart for the prison guard. It isn't smart for the inhabitant. Well, and uh, the Smart has a double meaning. It's, you know, you can have like smart as in you know, high intelligence. You as in like it, it smarts, it hurts, it burns. It's true. Right? A towel or yeah. a pick or something. And you feel that. Yeah. Burn. Yeah. And yeah. We, we haven't talked yeah. about. We haven't talked about the uh, the project that the Saudis are going to be working on. Uh, have you heard of the line, the line city? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's another thing. And and as we're watching promos for that, apparently the whole population of Saudi Arabia is going to be capable of living inside of this this line city. And I'm thinking like 11 million people in in something that's like 200 and something miles long. I don't think so. I, I don't think so. You're going to build some plastic whatever, out, some plastic mirror out in the middle of the desert somewhere, and it's going to be uh, self-sustaining, and that's going to be uh, a wonderful paradise. I, I don't think so. You know, I, I was explaining come on, yesterday. Come on, Johnny. We're stackable. <laughs> Humans are stackable. They're just going to stack us. Yeah. <laughs> Keep yes. piling us up. <laughs> yes. We'll be like the pod people. Yeah, you got it. I um. I was, I mean, I was uh, talking yesterday about uh, this this digital currency. I mean, that's a, that's a key component of what they want to do, and it's also on the agenda at uh, at Davos this year. And that is the central bank digital currencies. Uh, they want to mm-hmm. start rolling these things out. The Chinese central bank head, well, at least one of them anyway, made a public statement last week sa- and said that. Uh, this digital yuan that we introduced, even with their social credit system, they say that it's basically just been a, a giant flop uh, and they don't know what they're mm-hmm. going to do. The country of Nigeria, who was a, kind of a it was kind of a, I want to say it served as a, as a bellwether more or less for what a central bank digital currency would do. And the reason I say that is because they were the one nation on earth that had the highest uptake and usage of cryptocurrencies. So they took to it. But when it came to digital currency that was issued by their central bank, it was largely rejected. And when I say largely rejected, I think it was adopted by one in 25 which was it was basically that's a giant failure. I made the point yesterday about the central bank digital currencies. I said you might be able to get a few people as in like a few um you know organized crime uh, cartels and and things like that. But I mean, what does the criminal underworld operate off of? Human traffickers, drug traffickers, gambling throughout the world. What do they all operate on? Arms dealers. Cash. Mountains and mountains of cash. This is a fight that these central bankers, once they have it, are not going to want it. Because these people that are involved in this type of business, shall we say, 
they will hunt these people down to the ends of the earth for stifling their business opportunities and making a name for themselves. So I don't, I don't see that. Um, I don't see that working. Uh, now it might well, work for. Just, yeah, go on, go on. Just put a little um, idea in in my head. Um, but many, many, many years ago, um, and and I will say before I was listening to Alan, I was traveling somewhere, and I always like to get a book at the airport. That's my plane read. And this one was on money, the history of currency. And it was U.S. focused. Um, anyway, I, I don't remember all of the details now of the book. It's been many years since I read it. But what struck me was that before the U.S. had their currency federalized and centralized, what you had was many, many, many different kinds of currency in regions. And you would ha have, you travel on horseback from one region to the next region. And you, you really have to swap out your cash for the next area's currency. And I don't think, you know, the, the criminal mind has always been two or three steps ahead of me. But you, it, there's another book that was written by a fellow. Uh, Friedman, I think was his last name, but it was called Red Mafia, Red Mafia. It was about the influx of Russians into specifically Florida and New Jersey at the time that he was writing. Now, an interesting and sad thing, and just a question is uh, why or how or what went on, but this wasn't a popular book and about and not very long after it was published, the author died at a relatively young age. But he'd been digging hard and long to uncover all of this. But what I took from that book, one of many things, was that um, the criminal mind and criminal organizations are very, very good at adapting current systems to use or creating their own fringe system. And I could easily see if they couldn't adapt or co-opt or get in there and use a central bank digital or, yeah. or hack it, um, that you what you'll find are criminal cartels with their own operating currency. And when you move from one criminal district to the next, you just basically have to, you know, know who to swap currency with. That's a that's an interesting point. Um, I hadn't considered that. And of course, I, I was I was aware of the fact that we had different uh, types of money in different regions in the U.S., but uh, I, I wasn't aware of when that actually changed, when, when that actually uh, when, when we adopted a, a single currency. I don't know when that was. Do you know off the top of your head? I think I still have that book somewhere. I'll have to dig around. Next time we talk, I can tell you when it was. But it, it was... Uh, I, I'm not sure if it was pre-Civil War or post-Civil War, but I, I want to say it was post-Civil War because, uh, you know, a lot of centralizing of government. You know, the United States was to be states' right, it's rights. It was um, not to be a federalized system of government. And uh, so I would hazard the guess that it was post. But I'll look huh. for the book and tell you next yeah. time. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I'm also interested in that one uh, that you mentioned called uh, Red Mafia. I'm interested in that. Mm -hmm. So I'll have to I'll have to see if I can look around for that. But um, yeah, uh, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, they do have a a very good track record, as in like you know the criminal underworld. They have a very good track record of adapting to situations. They're usually 
as you say, one or two steps ahead of what the agenda is going to be because the people that are in charge of the agenda on this side of the, the, the criminal operation are usually the ones that are in the higher up organizations that are telling them about how it's going to be. And to that point, like I said, I, I see you're probably going to get some involved in it. I, I do see that as a possibility. And one of our other guys here, uh, Marty, spent a number of years out in the United Arab Emirates. And he's talked before about the uh, the royal families out there. And he said, look, these people have got so much money. They're just, they're incorruptible. It's just not possible. You can't corrupt them because they've already got everything. They've already got a, a native population that they basically own and control. So you're not going to corrupt them that way. You can't buy them off because they've already got all the money. They're sitting on millions upon millions of, of barrels of oil, which is a hot commodity that the world needs. So there's just no way you're going to get to them. Uh, they've already got everything. But he did make an interesting point. He said, you could not, if you're the World Economic Forum and, and the central bank types, you could not do what they want to do with a digital currency without the okay of the royalty out in the Middle East. You couldn't do it without mm -hmm. that because they would never allow it because their wealth is threatened. So you know that you've already got them on board with it. They've been yeah. promised or, or given some kind of guarantees or something. The Saudis are not going to be cut out of a deal, nor mm -hmm. are the, uh, the, the Qatarians or the United Arab Emirates or the Bahrainis or any of them. They're not going mm -hmm. to be cut out of that deal. So you've got them on board. But like I said, regional groups, small corner people, people that run a, a town, you know, the boss hog types, you're not going to get them. I, I don't I don't see them uh, getting them. And I don't see them being able to mop up the entirety of the black market, how they run most of the black market anyways, it is. I mean, if you look at the online black market, the dark web, that's their own brainchild. That's where it comes from. So, I mean, we can go back to, you know, the you can go back to DARPA, <laughs> who actually funded and maintains the uh, the dark web. So, I mean, we, we can go that route, but they operate already in the criminal underworld and they need some type of a fiat system over there. You can't do it any other way. They're certainly not going well, to be like, subjecting they, themselves you know, to traceable transactions. Yeah, I, I, our brave new world could certainly by design have criminal elements in it that are allowed to operate on the fringes. And, you know, I, I mean, who knows in the fourth industrial revolution, how much entertainment we'll need if we're brain chipped and, you know, in a pod stacked, you know, several meters high, who knows? But I think that, you know, for, at least for the time being, we're going to be given some entertainment. And I, I guess watching the good guys go after the bad guys is a form of entertainment. I suppose so. We're going to have to leave it there. Any final words, either one of you? This has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having us back. I Absolutely. enjoyed myself. Absolutely. Yeah. Weston, we will see you next week. Also, I would like to uh, encourage our listeners, head on over to CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and check out all of the great work that these fine people put together for you over there. It is an absolute treasure trove of information. If you're trying to wake someone up, I can think of no better place as a one-stop shop. So again, CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. For those of you who'd like to send us some feedback, please do so anytime by sending us an email at DynamicPodcast at ProtonMail.com. Also, do you like the podcast you're listening to? We do love having you as a listener, and we would ask you to pass this along to five friends. You know, someone you're trying to wake up and get them to think on their own. We'd appreciate it very much if you would send them our direction. It's been an absolute pleasure having the two of you here. Thank you for being here this evening. Thank you to all of the listeners. Everyone have a great evening.